Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Kevin shares his rare path of breaking into private equity at a lower middle market fund right after his MBA at Emory, after stints in consulting and investment banking. Listen to hear why he took a large pay cut, why he didn't want to go back to being an advisor, and how he eventually found himself running investments for a large family office. Enjoy. All right, Kevin, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thank you. It'd be great. Be here. Thanks. Yeah. So it'd be great to, if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Sure. Uh, grew up in California. I went to school at, at George Washington, uh, both for my undergrad and a master's um, in information security. Uh, did a brief stint in consulting in New York for doing four years um, in investment banking at a regional bank. Um, went back to school and did an MBA at Emory University. And after that, I spent um, six years or so in private equity across two different um, lower middle market private equity firms. And for the last three, almost four years now, I've been working um, at a family office. Very cool. So let's start all the way back. Well, kind of when I was in school too. So we're both the same age, <laughs> just past the big four. We're both uh, past 40 at this point. So tell me a little bit about just an undergrad. You seems like you. Um, I don't see finance. I guess there was some business. You graduated with a business degree, but was finance ever on the radar when you were consulting? I mean, I was in the business school, but never was um, on the radar. Um, I was in a program that essentially swapped out my senior year for the first year of a master's program. Um, and the program essentially was a feeder program for kids that ended up in the national security infrastructure. So think of CIA, NSA, um, DIA. Um, so when I was finished with my program, uh, I was supposed to um, go in that direction, but I just couldn't see myself doing it. So I pivoted quickly and ended up. How did you, why did you kind of decide against it? You just felt like it wasn't a good long-term fit for you or what, what about yeah, it? That's right. Um, I had a chance to start meeting uh, potential colleagues in different areas and uh, it, culturally it just wasn't the right fit for me. And okay. I couldn't see myself in a five-year, 10-year path. Down that career. Okay. So you're kind of approaching, is this like junior, senior year and you're thinking, okay, this is not what I want to do. And then you just suddenly started recruiting for consulting or how did, how did it work? You started networking heavily. I mean, back then, I don't think LinkedIn was a big thing or wasn't. No, it was Yeah. So how did you get into to a center? I think it was just my final year in graduate school and I started calling around until alumni. And there was one guy that um, we hit it off 
and over a phone call and then eventually um, sit down a couple of meetings over coffee. And he was working at Accenture at the time and he pulled me into the recruiting process. Got it. So it was just good old fashioned dialing and how many, how many alums? Dollars. Yeah. How many alums did you have to talk with before that one kind of came through? Oh gosh, I lost count. I mean, Maybe 30 50 or so. 50 okay at, at a lot. and so you you were doing a lot of phone calls did you um have a lot of like informational meetings was this the first person you actually met for coffee and stuff like that or were there others oh no there were tons prior to that um and a lot of i don't know if i can help you a lot of maybes and your job and in that in that role is to turn those maybes into yeses. um and that's the goal and so were there other ones that were going well or had to kind of progress or was this the main lead for yourself? Like, did you only end up, did you end up with the one offer from Accenture and immediately take it or were there other potential options for you? No, I was running out of time. This is the one offer and I had to take it. And it ended up being a great offer. It took me to where I needed to go, which was New York. Got it. And so was at that point, did you even know what investment banking was? Did you know, your, what was your, just knowledge base around consulting versus banking versus hedge oh gosh private equity yeah i know a lick about um investment banking and i found out a lot about the industry once i moved to new york and i was in the mix my project at the time um, had me on wall street and i was working on a lot of integrations um in the back office for um different banks as they were getting merged together in the kind of 05 through 07 time frame or 04 through five time. And so you're kind of there, you're working as a consultant in these integrations, the back office. Suddenly, how did you learn? Okay, I want to get to the front office. Yeah. I want to be MA. Like, how did you end up there? Because that's not an easy. I, I know there's a lot of consultants that go to banking, but going typically it's like with an MBA. You didn't do that. It looks like you went straight. So tell me how you pulled that off. Um, so it's just a lot more of networking. So you're I in New York. So there's a huge advantage. Very, very much so. And we took advantage of that. So there are a couple of us who um, were in consulting at Accenture, and we all at the same time discovered that we had more of a passion for finance. So we all huddled together in the corners of Accenture's New York office and did the mock interviews, made the phone calls, shuffled back and forth between all the firms. Um, and it was a great experience. And we're still friends to this day. That's cool. So you kind of found some like-minded people within within Accenture who are looking to make the similar transition helped you practice. So when you're coming up, you know, you're only there for uh, around a year and a half at Accenture. So tell me like, like year one, is this, is this whole process start or was it like earlier? Um, within months of getting there, we just you know, decided that um, as a small, my small piece of the cohort decided that it just wasn't the right fit for us. Got it. Okay. So started doing the interview process. And so did you get a lot of interviews or did you strike out a lot? How many, how did you, again, just dialing mostly, or were you using any other online resources? Um, they didn't really exist at the time. Uh, it was just a lot of emails and phone numbers that were passed from other people. You always, at the end of the call, you would ask whoever you were on the phone with, is there someone else that I ought to meet? Um, can you introduce me to someone else um, really at a different firm? Um, so I can expand my network. Are there other potential um, alumni that we can meet um, and go out and have coffee with? Got it. So was the group of friends kind of uh, alums from your undergrad? 
school? No, not at all. We all came from different schools. Different schools. Okay. So you're, you're kind of starting this process pretty early on, it sounds like, but you're there for another year before making the transition. Tell me why does it, was there a lot, did you make it to final rounds and strike out? Did you just take a long time to kind of get up the curve with the finance stuff since you didn't come from that background? Yeah, it took me a while to get up to the curve um, because I just didn't have that focus in undergrad. Mm-hmm. And some of the guys I was interviewing with, they had that traditional finance background. So it was just easy for them to transition. So how did you close that gap? How did you study? Just a lot of studying. A lot of just materials that are passed on from other people that I knew within my network. Old investment banking tutorials um, yeah. from the first years. Got it. Okay, so you finally make it into the process that where you eventually end up. Tell me what that was like. So how many rounds did you um, immediately jump on the offer when you got it? What was the feeling like after working that long for it? Yeah, so it was multiple rounds and I ended up having two um, offers, one at Beer Stearns and one at a regional bank, SunTrust. Um, at that point, I had my fill in New York and I wanted to see the South. So just um, packed my bags and moved to Atlanta. So you could have been at uh, Bear Stearns in the collapse. Yeah. If yeah. you hadn't made Thankfully, that choice. I ended up at a different bank. Fateful decision, because I think a lot of people would have chosen Bear Stearns given its size and its brand name over, yeah. over SunTrust. That's interesting. So, okay, so you find yourself in Atlanta. Tell me what was it like, the transition culturally from New York to Atlanta? It was just different. Um, yeah. Space was just enormous. Um, I had a great apartment there that I thought that was just so cheap relative to New York. Um, I walked to work, which um, it drew a couple raised eyebrows from my colleagues because everyone drives in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I was just so accustomed to walking and a half a mile each way every day was nothing for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but eventually I adapted and ended up starting to drive to work. What was your thought process in terms of like that first few months? Did, was there like a, were you, were you starting as an analyst or first year analyst? Or did they give Second you some credit? Year analyst. They gave me some credit. Oh, they gave you some credit. So, yeah. okay. A, a lot of credit. I mean, you basically lost four months then. Essentially, yeah. So when you were starting, was it kind of with the first, uh, sorry, with the second year analysts kind of going through, because you started in August, it looks like, were you starting kind of with those second years with the expectation that that, that next summer would be your first bonus? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And then tell me what it was like getting up the curve. Like, so you had studied all this time. And then what was it like when you hit the desk? Were you ready to model right from the get-go or how, what was it? What was it like? I thought I could, but it was just a very different experience um, in application versus theory. So tell me, what do you mean um, by that? Like, did you struggle nights. like the first few months? I did. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of it was on the presentations and getting all those together. Um, there were just a lot of uh, strenuous nights. Like, what would you say? 60 hours, 80 hours, 100 hours? I worked more than my um, peer group because I was catching up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they were working 70 hours in a week, I would work 80. Yeah, yeah. Sounds about right. I think SunTrust in Atlanta, it's, it's, it's a great bank, but it's not as, as sweaty as some of the other <laughs> places. In yeah. I think you had a good compared to a lot of the poor souls, the analyst souls. Um, they're going through work from home right now. Just getting, so. yeah. getting really abused. Um, so, okay. So you're working with middle market clients doing M&A. Um, you're there for a really good run for four years and you get uh, an internal promote to associate. 
tell me That's about fun. kind of how you ramped up and how you feel, why you feel like you got that um, analyst promo. Cause I know back then it wasn't, um, it wasn't as common. No, it wasn't. Well, maybe it was more common at SunTrust because um, they liked to um, grow their own talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so was yeah, your thought, I'm going to do this for my life? Actually, at the time, yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, and I think at the time, SunTrust didn't really have a MBA pipeline. So they were forced to grow their own talent. Got it. Okay. So experienced bankers to supplement at the director level. So tell me what happened um, over the years, because what, how things shifted, like obviously as you're an associate, you, did you start having analysts under you or just, you know, occasionally, or were you yeah. still doing a lot of analyst work? Um, so you do some analyst work at almost every project. Um, yeah. But yeah. So it ended up having two or three analysts on any given project. Got it. Okay. And then how did, how did it progress? So when did you start looking elsewhere? Or did things, the financial crisis obviously happened. Yeah. Tell yeah. me how things kind of, what was the thought process there? Like it did M&A just dry up and then they started letting people go or what happened? Yeah, it dried up uh, very quickly and there was just no business. So um, at the, that time you look for an off-ramp and that's business school. Right. So I was working with a few private equity clients at the time. And one late night, I had a phone conversation with them and let them know that I'd be heading off to business school. Um, and he suggested that I should probably get private equity experience prior to business school because if I wanted to end up in the industry, I would have to have some type of tangible experience because I would be a non-traditional, um, I guess. It's um, great advice. Applicant. It is. Yeah. Um, and I turned it on its head by asking him, well, since you're providing that advice, would you provide that experience for me as well? And he did. So you, before you even uh, went to, to Emory for business school, he what, gave you an internship of sorts or did he just- yeah, get- That summer before business school, I, I spent um, three months here in Dallas. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And so that's huge because then you're at least going into recruiting with that kind of at the top of your resume. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about um, what was business school like? Um, was it- a blast? Were you nervous because you thought it's still going to be an uphill battle to get into PE? Oh yeah, for sure. Given that you just have that internship. I mean, there's other, there's other kids that have done two years. Um, and so what was the thought process going into that whole, was it immediately like very focused to recruiting or was it something more like, let's have fun for a couple of years. I've worked hard. Yeah. I mean, it was just all about recruiting. It was, um, okay. it was first, second and third thought when I got up every day. Of how to get into the industry. And so it seemed like you had had a lot of success with networking before. So was that just the same thing? Just dial, dial for dollars more? That's right. Yeah. Is that how you ended up landing in, in the, um, at the firm you did? Yeah, I was just persistent about it. Um, there's just a lot of no's and you turn those no's into maybes and then ultimately the yeses. How do you do that? How do you turn them into maybes, first of all? Well, there were a lot of trips to New York from Atlanta. Yep. Um, and uh, just a, a lot of hustle. I mean, I'll give you an example. So uh, there was a partner at a middle market private equity shop that I had targeted. Um, and he would just wouldn't return my emails and wouldn't return my phone calls. How many? So probably six or seven emails. Wow. Over, over like four calls. months? Over four months or five months? Half a year or more. Yeah. Um, so... 
I had a three hour block of time when I was in New York. So I went to his office and sat in the lobby. Um, and finally, after a couple of hours, his secretary came out and said, um, you are very persistent. He'll meet you for 15 minutes. And he did. <laughs> and? I didn't get a job. <laughs> <laughs> but you met with him. I did. And what was your, did you have like a pitch ready? Like, what did you say? I'll work for free. Like, what did you, what did you say? No, I mean, it's exactly that. You have five minutes, you have a canned elevator speech. Um, you try to highlight why you would work uh, and culturally and how you would have the right experience to set and skill set to do the job. So like you weren't, you weren't closing it. New York was definitely on the, anywhere was, I was on the, you, you were willing to move anywhere in the world. Yeah. I was trying to break into the industry. Yeah. So kind of no constraints. And I think that's important for the listeners to listen to no constraints, super hungry <laughs> to yeah. the point where you're like sitting in people's offices, uninvited. Um, they didn't call security on you, which is good. No. So, and we're still friends to this day. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So you, um, you had that. Tell me what, what was the break finally? And, and a lot of nodes. Were there any other type? Were there, were there other partners of small funds that were that were kind of a little bit more open to taking calls and they just still were like, sorry, there's no, no room? Yeah, a lot of them were, were telling me that just wasn't enough room. Um, um, some of them were in between funds um, and some of them were in funds that weren't growing. Um, so you just had to find the right timing where a fund was in fundraise and the AEM was growing and they needed another seat. And tell me about how you found those people was just talking, just, just dialing. There was no like database that you used. There was nothing. No. Um, sounds brutal. So, sounds brutally heavy lifting. Um, so w- at what point were you thinking, Hey, this isn't going to work out. Did you ever have that thought go through and what, what you were going to do if, if you didn't break in a PE? Um, so I, I knew that in the back of my mind, I could always go back to Accenture. Um, I had an open invitation to go back to the firm. Not back to bank. You would go back to banking? Uh, no, I would probably end up in consulting for a while and plot out another path to get into private equity. Interesting. <laughs> you were very determined. You were very determined. So why PE? Why was PE this, this almost like this thing you put up on a pedestal? We see it today with a lot of the kids. Was yeah. there something about it that you just loved? Was it the upside? Was it just the, the idea of being an investor? What, what was most appealing to you? Um, it was the idea of uh, being an investor and operationally changing a business um, and pulling levers that as a banker or as advisor, I could only um, hear about after the fact. Got it. So you liked having that like, actual direct impact. I think it's pretty cool too. It is. CEOs. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I, and <laughs> I, I like it. small to mid-sized businesses. Because yeah. It, it, yeah that, in the job that you ended up getting, you were working with lower middle market businesses between three and 10 million of EBITDA. And those businesses have a lot, typically don't have like the professionalization, the professional management team or anything running them. So there's a lot of value added. Yeah. Them. So tell and me that's how. That's a standard playbook where you can pull the generating yeah. that lift. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about like what, when the big break happened or, or did it ever happen? You had to, did you have to grind with no job for a while? Tell me, tell me what happened. Um, so most recruiting happens um, the, your first semester in business school or the summer. And um, I just had to not go down that path and um, just put myself out there on the line. And I didn't really have a, um, a summer 
internship until maybe the final months of the spring. And I wow. finally got one with the old private equity um, partner that gave me an internship prior to business school. So he said, fine, you can come back and do a summer. <laughs> so this is, you owe this guy a lot, obviously. Yeah. And so I ended up post business school working for him and moved out to Dallas in 2011. So tell me, like, it, it sounds like it's a relatively small fund. Do you mind sharing what the AUM was at the time? Um, sure. It was $120 million. So yeah, it's a pretty small fund. How was he comfortable paying you? I mean, were you just willing to p- take really low, um, a really low salary with, with minimal upside? Or like, how, how did he get comfortable with that? Because at 120, yeah. um, you know, a post-MBA can be expensive, right? Sure. Um, so I was their first non-partner hire. Okay. Um, and a lot of it was back in weighted on the upside. And did you ever get that upside? It was a, a fund that did not hit the promote. Okay. So you were there for a long time. Yeah. Tell me what your thought. So you, you were, I mean, the title was kind of whatever they wanted to call you, senior associate principal. Doesn't really matter because there's yeah. probably only a few of you guys there. That's Tell right. Tell me what the thought process was of, of going to a fund like that where the pay um, was probably probably a big pay cut compared to what you could have gotten in banking or, or consulting. You were just very like, this is what I want to do. I don't care. Was that the thought process? That's right. I just wanted the reps. Yeah. Um, and I wanted the autonomy to figure out a way to grow my career um, and not be an advisor. Got it. What turned you off so much to being an advisor? Um, it's just, it was too salesman. Yeah. Um, and you really never, I just fundamentally didn't believe that you, you helped the business or changed in any, in any manner. When you got your hands, you're a broker essentially. Yeah. Did you get your hands dirty once you were at this uh, PE fund? Yeah. I had the opportunity to, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. yeah. So you were right. You're like, this is, this is fun. This is, I enjoy going to work. And it was worth it. Yeah. It, it was worth the trade-off. Very cool. So tell me about, um, as things progressed, was the reason, you know, after four years, were you given like a potential partner seat or was it just the fund wasn't growing fast enough? And at that point it was, it was time to start looking. What was that next transition? Like, I know you spent another almost three years at another, um, Lorman market fund. That's right. So, um, the partner I was working with and I both were recruited by the, our next employer, the new private equity fund to start their Dallas office. So. It really helped to wind down and I'm still helping wind, to wind down uh, the assets from the first private equity fund. Um, and then we hung the shingle out for East Coast based private equity fund that established its Dallas office. Very cool. And so was it just more of the same? So it's really like you were at a new fund, but in reality, you were working with the same partner. That's right. Yeah. And so uh, were the types of businesses you work, was it a specific niche or was it just, it was just lower middle market, anything? We were generalists, but I, I focused on industrial services and business services. Any crazy stories from any of those uh, deals you did? Well, um, there was one business um, uh, that did a lot of hydroblasting and, and turnaround cleaning for um, industrial facilities. Um, we owned the business um, at our fund. But back in 2005, I was an advisor for that business when I was an analyst at SunTrust. Um, so I knew the business and knew the owner. Um, and immediately I was able to de- develop a rapport with them. It was just visiting an old friend again. That's cool. That's cool. So you're, it was a great, uh, 
a great easy way to kind of hit the ground running there. So um, tell me a little bit about kind of the, the progress, you know, almost three years with, uh, with that fund. And was it a similar size, a couple hundred million AUM? No, I think RLJ at the time was about 240 million AUM. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit bigger, but they're, they're planning more um, employees. So. Yeah. Okay. And so then from there, what was the, what was the next stop at, at any point where you like, I don't know about this PE thing because you know, the pay hasn't been greater. Were you, were you working long hours or was it more like a 50, 60 hour week, but you were enjoying it? Um, the workload varied depending on whether or not we had a deal that was live. Right. Um, I was on a partner track, but the firm was really top heavy. Um, and it was just a long, I could see myself being there for a protracted period of time and not getting to where I wanted to be. Um, so I was trying to figure out ways where I could leverage the experience and skill set that I had developed over the past almost decade. Yeah. Um, and somehow accelerate my career development. And so how did you think about like the different options? Like you didn't want to at that point go back to an advisory role that was like out of off the table for sure. Or was it anything you ever considered it? Not really. Yeah. So you were just thinking what, what, what other options are there? Right. You've done a bunch of deals at this point. Right. Um, What were you thinking in terms of options? And then, yeah, I'd love to hear about the actual jump you made Yeah. and how you found that position. Well, I, I just had an open mind and I would just softly inquire uh, with some wealthy families and individuals whether or not they um, were inclined to bring on an investor to support their efforts. Um, and one family that I'd known and met just for a short period of time, um, but they were looking for someone to start a family office for them. And that the patriarch of the family just so happened to previously work within the same network of um, private equity firms that I worked at in Dallas before heading off and starting his own business and becoming very successful at that business. Um, so there was just a natural uh, network of people that we knew that allowed him to establish rapport and trust with him quickly. So it's something you kind of pitched or he was looking? I pitched him and he was looking at the same time, although he yeah. didn't let on that he was. Interesting. So yeah, but there was some of that trust because you had this cr- that similar um, connections. You said like there was some That's coaching right. and stuff like that, which always helps. He worked in the same office that I worked at in Dallas, but maybe 15 years prior. Okay. In fact, it was odd that my first day of work there, um, there was a picture of him in my office because as he left, um, he left a picture of himself in every office and just sat there for years until I showed up. That's so funny. So you, as you're transitioning from the, the private equity fund, you know, RLJ to, to this new family office, what's the concern? Like, is there any concern going on? Cause I know family offices, they're all very different and you're starting this one. Like you are at the ground zero again, very entrepreneurial. What's the thought process and, and, is there a good enough, did you feel like you had a, to build a lot of rapport early on? Like, was it a six month courtship before it actually, you made the jump or was it like a year? Was it took a few months? Or? It was about a year courtship before I made the jump. Yeah. And tell me about how that, how that went down. Cause I think people are interested in the family office dynamic and I know they're all different, but there's yeah. something to be said for like building that trust and like how you even went about, how did you even know to pitch to build a family office? And what was the, specifically, what was like, 
what was interesting about your background, yeah, you had the connection, so there was that trust element, but sure. was there something you were pitching of like, hey, I, I know middle market businesses really well, I can, you know, in the, you know, whatever, the, the 20 to $50 million range, we can, we can do some great deals together and I can help manage them. And what was that similar to how you pitched them or what was yeah. a different angle? Um, I think a lot of it was timing. I think we're in a period where there's a generational transfer um, where a younger set of family members are now entrusted with capital. Um, and I think a lot of families are becoming more aware of fee load and how it drags performance. And I think the third thing is that a lot of families are starting to realize that they can internally originate deal flow that once they thought only private equity firms could do. Yeah, they could do the direct deals themselves yeah. and have a yeah. small team kind of run it, especially if it's at the lower end of the middle market. And so that was my pitch. Um, you have an allocation to alternatives um, instead of directing them to mega cap funds that generate suboptimal returns, particularly for the risk profile um, and being tethered in a 10 year, in reality, a 12 year fund or more. Hmm. Um, when you can instead direct your capital in lower middle market opportunities, which I would argue at the time and still do, that they provide better risk adjusted return. Um, it allows you to really. What about diversification? In, was it not a, as much of a concern because their alternatives wasn't like a 50% allocation? That's right. And yeah. my, my position was that you can build a fund directly. What do you mean by that? Build a fund. Um, See it with capital it. And you know, over five or six investments, you can synthetically create a fund. With right. Bunch of direct investments. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you're creating a fund, so you're still getting that diversification, somewhat. Yeah. Interesting. That's really cool. That's different. <laughs> that so. Um, and it worked. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. It yeah. worked, and you had some good, some good investments over over the time. Yeah. I mean, it was a short period of time, maybe a little bit over two years. But how many, um, how many deals did you do for them? Maybe four or five. The coolest one was a high growth, um, better for you consumer brand. Um, that manufactured beef jerky, but did it in a better for you manner. Um, it, it's processing style is called Biltong, which is a South African way of air drying meat without the use of nitrates and nitrites. Oh, cool. Um, so located um, in Plano, so a suburb of Dallas. Yeah. Um, and we were able to provide a growth capital in two different rounds. And it recently uh, got announced it's being uh, despacked. Uh, by SPAC. Very cool. So it's basically going public. That's right. And so the family's very happy. Very happy. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, how do you think about going to a family office and being a hired gun of sorts um, in terms of your pay structure? Yeah. And do you mind, talk, let's talk about pay because you, know, you, you took a huge pay cut going to private equity right out of school um, to get into the industry. Um, can you talk about like how pay progressed? Was it like something where you were taking super low base because the fund was so small, like, you know, 50,000, 80,000, or was it something where like you're at least paid six figures and just, there wasn't a lot of carry. How, how should yeah, I think so, about it? Um, in my first private equity fund, it was six figures, but, um, I was in it for the carry Yeah, uh, because I was the only non-partner in the fund. Uh, they could allocate a significant portion of the carry uh, to me. Do you mind sharing what that was? Uh, it was double digits. Double digits. Okay. That's a percentage. Yeah. So, 
That's great. And so, but did it pay? Did that pay off down the road? No. It, did. <laughs> it did not. Okay. It was a debt that did not pay off. Okay. And then, um, how about the second? Did things change? I know the fund got bigger to about two hundred fifty million. Was did the economics change where there was a little bit of a bonus, or was it all just yeah. base and carry? Yeah. So the comp became much more market based, um, and so did the carry. It was just a lot smaller. Yeah, and more market based. Like a couple points, and you know, that's one right. one fifty base, something like that. Um, yeah, that's right. Okay, and we're in the couple of years you were there. Was it were the bonuses decent? Yeah, they were. Okay, do you mind sharing what they are? Uh, my my listeners they, kill me if I don't ask. You you can say no, I don't want to share, but that's <laughs> they were decent. Okay, that's fine. So you're so you're kind of like. Um, you're at least you're heading up the right, you're heading in the right yeah. direction, at least with pay. Um, and then you're kind of thinking, why even go to this family office? Um, why not just, it, it was still top heavy, I guess. I mean, it, it was still going to take a long time to become partner. Was that the, the kind of the reason? Yeah, that was the rationale at the time. Or is it more you just being opportunistic and talking to people and thinking, hey, this might be more interesting? Well, I knew that I wanted to make a move, um, but okay. I didn't give myself one year to figure it out. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was running to something instead of running away um, from a top-heavy structure. Got it. Okay, that's fair. So you um, you were at the family office for almost two and a half years. Did four deals, which is a lot, actually. It's good. Um, it's hard to get deals done. <laughs> so you, um, it sounds like things were going great. What? What? Why um, was it pandemic related? What was going on in terms of the the latest transition um, last yeah. year? Uh, so it was a family, and by the way, whatever you're comfortable sharing, Kevin, I don't mean to push you like whatever, you yeah. know, whatever you're comfortable sharing, you can say, I don't, I'm not comfortable. Fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I was working for a family in Houston mm-hmm. and my family was based in Dallas and I was commuting back and forth for two years. Um, and when we started um, along this journey together, we decided that we give ourselves two years before I had to make a move to Houston. And my wife did not want to move. Uh, so we did it. <laughs> um, and it, we, after a while, I knew that it would become an issue with the family. So you meaning you had to get away from Houston? I had to move to Houston um, or there would be an issue with the family that I could not fix. Got it. Okay. So um, tell me a little bit about, so, cause I see you're, in, I thought you were in Dallas now. Yeah, and I've been in Dallas ever since graduate school, so since 2011. But I was working for a family in Houston. In Houston. Uh, and so the, commute, between, the commute just it was just too much. Um, that's right. I got it. And so you couldn't move. The family wanted you there. And so that was it. Tell me a little bit about, like, was it contentious at all? Was it, like, something where... I mean, at that point too, in 2020 May, I mean, it's chaos. The world is yeah. chaos. Why jump in the middle of chaos? Why not like keep going on? Was it like a forced, was it something where like they they had been talking to you about moving for a while and then they were like, that's yeah. it? That's right. I mean, and at the same time, a recruiter called um, probably in the fall the year prior and yeah. started introducing to me to this family that I work for today, yeah. um, a Dallas-based family. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, I thought very similarly to about how to invest, um, like I do. That's great. That's great. So you already kind of had something where you had you had been talking with with um, this recruiter and with this other family office. That's and right. This kind of prompted a, hey, I think I'm ready to move. Um, 
That's great. So it sounds like you've you're, you've managed to kind of piece together a really nice trajectory for yourself. Thanks. Uh, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, I think um, you know what's interesting to me is that you know the fact that you grinded so hard to get into PE, but not to, but but were humble enough to go to a uh, very small AUM place just to get the reps. I think a lot of people say they want it, but then they don't, they're not willing to do what you did and take a big pay cut um, to get the reps and then gradually build themselves up from there. So kudos to you. Thanks. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Before, before we call it like any, any final kind of words of wisdom, how I guess well, before we even call it, how is it, how's it been at the new family office in terms of like through the um through the epidemic or the, the pandemic, how, um, how's it been? I, I know probably at the beginning, there was no deals to be done, but then has, have things opened up for you guys at all? Oh, we've been real active. I think we've done six deals. Wow. Actually, we've done seven since um, June. That's amazing. Um, yeah, we've been. And so how big is the team? Uh, how big is the team that you, is it just you and a couple, an analyst or something like that? Or Yeah, so in the fall, we hired our first um, associate. Um, we've been blessed to have him. Um, great background. He has that traditional 2-2 background. Two yep. years in Barclays in Houston. Two years at a private equity firm in Houston called First Reserve. Mm -hmm. um, and then he wanted to move back to Dallas and we found him. That's awesome. I was going to say, if you want applicants, just let me know and you'd get flooded um, <laughs> from the pocket. Eventually, yeah. if you need somebody, just let me know. Um, well, I think these types of jobs are, are few and far between. They're hard to find. And um, I think they are attractive. Yeah. So very cool. So, so you guys done a lot of deals. Wow, just, the two, just the two of you. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been very too. We've, we've done some real estate, um, a fair amount of structured debt, and then an um, a few deals backing independent sponsors. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the structured debt. Like, tell me about the types of deals and and how you even think about um, those deals. I mean, it sounds cool because you're getting a lot of exposure to different asset classes, right? Yeah. And up and yeah. down the capital structure. So, tell me how you're thinking about that. Um, so, we, we like to find opportunistic credit where we have some type of collateral where it feels and looks more like a senior secured loan, but we have mezzanine type yield, hmm. and so. The approach is to work with commercial banks um, where their lenders find opportunities that don't particularly fit inside a credit profile or the underwriting box, where the opportunity might straddle one leg in the box, one leg outside the box. And Can you give so an example we'll, of that, like of what would be a non-traditional thing that, yeah, they, so, that the commercial bank would, would shy away from, but you guys would be fine with? Sure, if um, there is litigation embedded in the company, Mm -hmm. um, a credit officer might shy away from getting the total maximum leverage that in a normal situation might warrant. Um, so we can step in to that situation and take a last out piece of the debt, but still mm -hmm. have that collateral coverage. Enough collateral coverage to get comfortable. That's right. And, and still, and still demand a little bit of a, still demand a little bit of some warrants or whatnot on the back end, like a mess. In some cases, yeah, we'll get warrants. In almost every case, we'll get call protection. In some cases, we'll get a fair amount of OID to juice up the yield. Very cool. This has been great. Very, I think one of the one of the more interesting different uh, different podcast guests. Because yeah. yeah, I have plenty plenty of guys and gals that have gone through banking, traditional PE, yeah. but not not the way you've gone. So, um, any final words of wisdom before we call? 
before we call it? Yeah, just believe in yourself. If this is what you want to do, um, don't take no as the final answer. Awesome. Kevin, thanks so much for sharing your, your story. Thanks for the time. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.